Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. I am not John Canzano. Fact check, I am, however, Spencer McLaughlin. Great to have you in here on this Thursday night, the eve of the final Pac-12 football game between two Pac-12 teams. Unless there's a crazy bowl scenario in which two Pac-12 teams play each other, but I think that kind of defeats the purpose of uh, of bowl season. But always love hitting the phone lines. 503-417-7575 is the number to call. Dan in Tiger. Go ahead, Dan. Yes, yeah, I thank you for taking my call. I've wanted to talk about the Pac-12 championship. I think, uh, yeah. I think you know, as the saying goes, it's, sometimes it's hard to be a, another team twice unless you're really, really good. I think the Ducks will come away with a win, but uh, I think that maybe Washington's going to be overconfident, and I think the Ducks are going to be playing with fire. They're very consistent. I think it's going to be a blowout, and I think uh, – I think uh, Bo Nix is going to increase his uh, Heisman chances to win, uh, even though there's, you know, you know things can be said that the hot guy is Jaden Daniels, and he's a, a, you know, a splashy guy. But when it comes to statistics, I think really uh, Bo Nix with that completion rate, uh, rating uh, percentage is uh, just really, really good. But also my take is, that I think Texas, if Texas blows them out and Florida State blows them out and somehow Michigan loses and we could have a Florida State, Texas, Oregon, and uh, Georgia in the in the Final Four. I don't know what you think of those odds. but Well, I think they're pretty slim because Iowa's not going to score a point on Saturday afternoon against Michigan. I'm not kidding. That game is going to end 27-0. to You heard it here first. Iowa's not going to score uh, a single point in that game. I, I understand Oregon fans that have the confidence. Um, you know, the point spread on uh, DraftKings, I think, has moved up to minus 10. That's a that's a big number. I, I think if Oregon wins, Bo Nix should certainly win the Heisman. As uh, Mike Jorgensen of the Oregon Sports Network said, he better. And I, I definitely agree with that sentiment. Jorgie's a great guy. Uh, the one thing I'll caution Oregon fans about, um, about, you know, potentially beaten Washington by a lot. Sure, I, I could see him winning by 14, 17 points if they play super, super well, but I think there's a psychological hurdle to get over for the Ducks for a team that is your uh, heated rival and that has ripped your heart out twice. A guy who has seen both of those games in the last couple of years in person. Joining me now to talk about it, of Duck Territory 24-7 Sports, the Odds and Audibles podcast. Eric Scopel joining me here on the BFT. Eric, are you ready for the last Pac-12 football championship game in the history of the world? I'm sitting in a hotel in Las Vegas, so I, I better be. I, uh, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know what else I'm preparing for all the way down here, but it's, uh, it's crazy what you just said, and it's kind of just sinking in here that we're 24 hours away from, as you said earlier, Pac-12 kind of coming to a close. How, how bizarre for, I must speak for myself, someone who's grown up on the West Coast, following this conference, you know, basically since I was out walking. So, yeah, weird, weird stuff, but excited to be down here for it. 
Yeah, but bizarre to say the least. Uh, I'll be there as well. I'll see you up in the press box. Maybe you can stop me from uh, hyperventilating during the game. That'd be that'd be very very much appreciated, Eric. But uh, there are a lot of Oregon fans. You know, Dan was just calling in a moment ago, confident that that Oregon can win. It's a it's a big point spread, Eric. Almost ten points uh, historically. When you've had that sort of number uh, in a top five team is that large of an underdog in a conference championship game. The favorite has won and covered. I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just too emotionally invested in the Ducks winning, winning this football game. Is that line as crazy as it looks to me? I don't know if it is. Um, it's certainly bigger than, like, I, if we hit the rebound button to go back to October, it's certainly much greater than I anticipated that it, it would have been then. But I will also say that I came out of that game thinking Oregon was maybe the better team and that on a neutral even then I was like maybe they'd be a two or a three-point favorite. The fact that it's ballooned to, to as you said, nine and a half, ten points, I think signifies a couple of things. A, Oregon's been playing really, really good football. I kind of found their knockout punch and they just landed knockout blow after knockout blow, you know, the entire back half of the schedule. And, you know, kind of conversely, Washington seems to have lost its knockout blow, right? Like you go and look at the way they've won games, it's been – really impressive the resiliency but they haven't exactly just put their throat you know foot on someone's throat and just finished the game in the third quarter like most of these games have been played including the last couple against Oregon State and, and Washington State right down to the end there obviously this last game needing a last second field goal to, to, to seal a, a, the, the perfect regular season for the Huskies so I kind of get the momentum there of, of Oregon being the heavy betting favorite I also say like winning Nine games in this conference is something that had not happened since the conference expanded to 12 teams in 2011. Um, being a 12-0 and Pac-12 team is something that hadn't happened since Oregon did it right before they expanded. And you think of the Chip Kelly team that went to the championship and lost to Auburn. So, you know, this is a Washington team that's hit some historical benchmarks that sh- certainly should not be overlooked. And I'm sure if you're, you know, your rooting interest lies up in Seattle, you're kind of going like, what the hell? Why, why are we 10-point underdogs over a team we beat, you know, about a month and a half ago when we're still undefeated? So um, I, I, I get it from all sides, but it is interesting kind of going into this one thing. Wow, Oregon is going to open or it's going to close probably as, as double-digit favorites in the game against a team that hasn't lost all season and, and has a lot to play for, too. Eric Scopel, 24-7 Sports Autonomous Podcast, joining me here. I'm Spencer McLaughlin in for John Canzano on the Bald Face Truth. So, uh, by the way, just real quick, Eric, you're a, a, a Gonzaga guy at one point in time, right? Sure am. Uh, I just want to tell you to watch out for my Santa Clara Broncos this year. That's all I'm going to say. I'm just going to leave it okay. right there. I I, I think this I think this could be a year that Santa Clara knocks off Gonzaga for the first time since – 2011. I'm trying not to get my hopes up too high on that front, but uh, just, just just watch for that. West Coast Conference basketball, pretty darn good. Anyway, back to uh, the, the the football game here. <laughs> Oregon appears to to going to be going forward without Jaleel Florence. I don't know if there's been any confirmation on on that front, but what do you think that means for the Oregon secondary going up against what I think uh, you know is a now healthy and and the best wide receiver core in in all of college football. Yeah, no confirmation there or any further clarity. I mean, the, the way this week works, because it's sort of abbreviated with the game being played on Friday, There's we, media did not get to go into practice this week. Dan spoke just on Monday. He gave a pretty kind of, um, I, I would say, 
lacking any clarity sort of response, essentially said, we'll see, maybe, maybe, maybe not on Florence and Rod, uh, Roderick Pleasant, who's another defensive back who's dealing with an injury. I, I, my expectation is Florence does not play in this game from everything I can gather. Um, it, it seems like he might have sustained something rather significant down um, in Tempe. So we'll, we'll see what kind of the long-term fallout from that is. But to this matchup, yeah, I mean, it's it's not insignificant. And, and you know, Oregon has, and Oregon fans can go ahead and knock on any wood if they want right now, but they've had an incredible year in terms of avoiding that brutal injury, right? Like there's just, besides from Noah Whittington, that's really been the only one that's taken place this year to a key player. And now you get into the, you know, the closing point in the season and to have a player in the secondary out for this specific matchup is probably, uh, you know, the, the position you, you would least like to have hit. Um, at the same time, Oregon has a lot of depth at that position. Dante Manning was a former five-star recruit, thought he played pretty well at times, filling in last week against Oregon State. Obviously had some ups with the interception, had the downs with a couple of uh, pass interference calls at a couple of plays where he was beaten coverage. Um, he's certainly a capable replacement. Triclis Bridges started basically every game a year ago at corner. He's another player to rely on. And then Nico Reed is a player who was a starting corner of at Colorado last year, has played kind of more in the slot this year. So it's not like they don't have the players or the options, but the question is, does anybody have the, the ability to elevate to the level of play they need to? Because this isn't just, hey, we can win with a, a C-plus performance from one of our starting corners. Like You're going to probably need to be very, very best to contend with, as you said. I think undoubtedly the best receiving core out in the West Coast. And Roma Dunze has been cooking players left and right. Oregon probably won't have Dante Manning or any of these backups on him, but they have Jalen McMillan. They have Jalen Polk. These are two of the better receivers in the conference as well, even though McMillan has been kind of in and out of the lineup all year. Certainly hasn't been his best season from a health perspective. It seems like they're kind of rounding into form, and I guess if the, the recipe for Washington winning this game outright is really just their receivers roast Oregon secondary, and they're able to keep up because I do think Oregon's offense is going to be able to score points in this one. Yeah, I, I agree with you. The Ducks haven't been held under 30 points in a game this season, I don't think that changes on Friday night at Allegiant Stadium. So it comes down to, you know, what Washington can do offensively. And they have not been the first half of the season juggernaut. You know, we don't know what's going on with Michael Penix. He hasn't looked quite the same. But I, I think, you know, two things that, uh, that that Josh Pate would call padlock stats. If, if Oregon has fewer than 40 penalty yards and if they have more than three sacks, I think if they do either one of those things, but certainly if they do both of them, I think they're winning the game and covering the spread. And, you know, I, I think that a close game, Eric, favors Washington with the way they've executed late in games, been there time and time again, more so than, than Oregon has. The Ducks have played a double-digit uh, victory every game since uh, going up against the Huskies in Seattle on October 14th. Camden Lewis is not able to make a field goal consistently right now. I think Oregon has the better chance to win by double digits. I think if it comes down to a one-possession game, I think that favors Washington. I probably agree. I don't, you know, it's funny. I haven't really thought about it from the, that perspective much this week, but there, there would be a strong case to say, like, which team is more battle-tested in these kind of moments? Certainly this season is Washington. And then to the point you made, I think, right before I hopped on, of, like, is there a mental hurdle there? Like, Oregon, this team knows how to win football games. They've won 11 this year. The core group of this group won 10 games a year ago, but one thing that they haven't done is beat Washington. And yep. this is a very, very much an impressive Washington team in terms of how they just find ways to win, right? Like, 
they're, the, they're, they're kind of like that annoying team you meet up in March, you know, March Madness with. And the, I'll use another college basketball reference, but like it's like playing Iowa or Wisconsin in a tournament where you're like, you know, your team's probably better than them, but if, if they're able to just grind it out and make it a close game late, you're just kind of nervous about how it's going to go. That's kind of what it's like with Washington, where I, I don't anticipate, to your point, I don't anticipate Washington blows Oregon out. I don't know if they have that knockout punch, but they are certainly capable of winning a close, highly competitive game that comes down to the final position, possession, right? They've shown that time and time. They've shown that probably too much for their fan base. Their fan base is probably tired of it, but that's just the way it's gone. Basically, the whole second half of the season, and even a little bit in the early part. So, yeah, no, I think that's a fair question of like if this is a, you know, uh, edge of your seat kind of game here, where the the fans in a legion are are you know sweating into the final possession or two of the fourth quarter. Oregon certainly has question marks there, and you brought up the kicking game, and Camden Lewis has not got not figured things out since the last time these two teams met. Um, meanwhile, Washington's kicker just hit a game winner last week. I know he's had a bunch of problems himself, but no, there's certainly kind of an argument to be had of like, okay, if this game does come down to, if one team's going to win by three points, maybe Washington seems like the team that's more likely to win a game like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. I, th- I also think, you know, in, in a close game, critical situation, penalties can be a drive extender. They can move you into field goal range. They can uh, give you hope when all hope has seemingly been lost. And I think that's another thing that works against Oregon in a tight game. But I think if the Ducks play their best version of of Oregon football in 2023, uh, I, I think they can win and, and cover that point spread. It's just a matter of whether or not they'll be able to go out on the field and execute. Eric Scopel, 24-7 Sports, Autzen Audible's podcast, Duck Territory. See you in the press box tomorrow, Eric. All right, look forward to it, buddy. See ya. Eric Scopel, fantastic stuff. As Always, we got plenty more to get to here on our number two of the Bald Face Truth rolling along. Spencer McLaughlin still in here for John Canzano on the BFT. Stephen and Judah joining me as always. Wanted to get to a, a couple clips before I talk about Dan Lanning and the, the Pac-12 championship game. So uh, I'm not the oldest sports broadcaster you've probably ever listened to, and the first uh, you know, I'm a Duck fan, and the first uh, superstar for Oregon that that I remember, you know, I remember Dennis Dixon for sure. But when Chip Kelly took over, it was it was different. It was different. Oregon was relevant nationally in a way they hadn't been before. You know, everyone wanted to be like the Ducks: the facilities, the uniforms, the fast offense, the spread. Everything was. You know, Eugene, in many ways, was the envy of a lot of places in, in the college football world. So as a result, you know, I've long had the take and still do, of, of course, that my favorite Oregon football player of all time is LaMichael James. And I saw the other day that LaMichael James, uh, or not the other day, the other week, I suppose, that he's getting inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame in in, in 2023, which I, I think is just such a well-deserved honor for that guy uh here's here's a little bit on uh, on the michael james james trying to get to the outside looking for a block james still on the sidelines shakes another tackle james touchdown <laughs> what a run that was a 73-yard touchdown 
against Tennessee, 2010, perfect regular season for for the Ducks. Final score in that one at Neyland Stadium, 42 to 10. That game was tied at the half, and the legendary Nick Aliotti adjustments came into play. So why am I talking about this today? Well, well, Michael James did that in the final year of the Pac-10, and tomorrow, Bo Nix, you know, hopefully for the Ducks, is going to put on a legendary sort of performance in the final game for the Pac-12. The difference, of course, the conference isn't changing, it's going away, and I think that you know, really, really stinks. But I want to do a a wish of congratulations if he's listening out there to Michael James, uh, my favorite Oregon player of of all time. I know there are a lot of great options. I think Bo Nix, frankly, guys, is working his way into that sort of discussion to where, you know, there are going to be a lot of Oregon fans now and, you know, forever who will look back and say, yeah, my favorite player growing up, as an Oregon football fan, was Bo Nix, which in 2019 would have been a pretty crazy statement to say. Really crazy statement to say, uh, especially after week one of that season, right? I mean, uh, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's incredible, it, but I don't uh, I don't think it's wrong. If he wins the Heisman, he's immediately in that conversation, you know, second duck right. to ever win it, and this weekend will will go a long ways to that. You know, at one point you're like, is he even the greatest number ten quarterback? Right? I mean, what what Herbie did in four years uh, wearing that jersey, he's obviously in the discussion. What Dennis Dixon did wearing that jersey, you know, he's in the discussion. I think mm-hmm. Dixon Dixon's up there for me. You know, the the '07 magic that he brought um, certainly played a role in that. But you are right about Lamichael. I mean, even to this day, um, you know, it's easy to imagine. You know, his his legend. Uh, on the field at Oregon, even more so than a guy like Royce Freeman, who was so, um, you know, consistent and prolific over four years. But the explosion factor with LaMichael, it's just like between him and and uh, D'Anthony Thomas. I mean, those are two electric players that that will firmly legends. And don't sleep on Kenyon Barner in that discussion, by the way. Kenyon in 2012, remember, he went for 324 down against USC. Turns out USC hasn't played defense since Pete Carroll left. That's, that's the rumor flying around the college football world. But, you know, when when I think about LaMichael James, uh, anyone listening out there who, who knows me, which I know there are a couple people are, and I appreciate uh, all of you, you know that I am not what you would call a large human being. My nickname is quite literally Smalls. Yes, it is also Grandpa, as well as we talked about earlier in the show. But I've always had a propensity to root for the little guy. And I loved watching Royce Freeman. Man, he was fantastic, highly rated recruit, lived up to the hype and everything. But there was something about LaMichael, you know, being at the center. And, and, you know, Darren Thomas was certainly an unsung hero in some respect of those great Oregon teams in 2010 and 2011. But, you know, LaMichael was the guy that, that everybody knew outside the country. The way he ran, the way, you know, his unique style. He was so perfect for the system. He wasn't a big-time recruit coming out of high school. I, I think that, you know, really resonated with, with me and a lot of Oregon fans to this day. And, you know, you talk about Dennis Dixon and Mariota and now Bo Nix and Michael James. Like, so easy for these guys to not just be great players but also become fan favorites. And Not that it's easy to be a great player, but easy to become fan favorites as great players. I think that LaMichael was still unique because, you know, Dixon was big time. And then unfortunately he went down with the knee injury in the desert. And I remember watching that and my 
part just dropped straight. It didn't go into my stomach. It fell out of it, and I had to, you know, reattach it later. And Michael James, frankly, was one of the guys who who did that and helped guide Oregon through a tumultuous time. Do you guys remember why Michael James got the opportunity to start at running back for the Ducks? Boy, Legarrette. Can tell me, Legarrette. That is correct. Legarrette Blunt punches the. Boise State player punches Byron, and then, he's, <laughs> and then he's suspended because Laguerre was going to be the starter. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, here comes this three-star, five-foot-nine running back from Texarkana, and no one really knew anything about him. And then all, all of a sudden, he's the featured player uh, every time Brent Musburger is on the call for for the Ducks on ESPN or ABC back in the day. Fond memories for me. So I'm I'm really happy for Michael James uh, because that, that's just. Such a well-deserved honor. One of the best running backs of, of the last 10, 15 years in college football. That, but to that other point, I mean, Bo Nix's chance to cement himself in LaMichael James' air, and it won't ever be quite like, like LaMichael James' air per se, but it might be um, it might be a tier below like Mariota air, you know? Because Mariota, I mean, Mariota's his own legend, you know, with the, right. the, the story that he had and three-star out of Hawaii and obviously goes on to win the Heisman and gets to a national championship game. But can you imagine a quarterback at Oregon? All right, transfer or not, you win the Heisman and you get to the college football playoff and maybe you get to the national title game as well? I mean, hell, do you think they could win it, Spencer? I mean, is that is that crazy to think that Bo Nix I I I refuse to entertain the thought until Oregon wins the Pac-12 championship game. I got a mailbag question on my Oregon podcast about, hey, what what do you think about Oregon's chances to do X? And I've got it down at the bottom of my note sheet until Oregon actually wins the game. But you do know what the check, football games aren't played on paper. Not played on paper. You know what the point spreads would be if Oregon makes a college football playoff when they play Michigan or Georgia, right? Yeah, did you see I saw those numbers, and I don't think they matter until Oregon plays Washington. That is my (laughs) official opinion on the matter right here, right here and right now. Uh, Real real quick on on Dan Lanning. He has had two uh, pretty brutal losses against Washington so far. Three points. Three points, field goal here, field goal there, fourth down there, decision here, decision there. They have been the most criticized games. I think even more so than his first game in which he got drubbed 49-3 to against his old boss over at Georgia, uh, Kirby Smart. The magnitude of this game is gargantuan for both the Ducks and the Huskies as they try to get into the playoff, have a chance to play for a national championship rivalry factor of last Pac-12 championship, Heisman stakes for Bo Nix. I don't think Penix can win it one way or the other. I think it's Bo Nix or Jaden Daniels at, at this point in time. But still, don't really know how the stakes could realistically be any higher for this one. And I think they're pretty high for Dan Lanning. I, I mean, he's done a great job in two years. And when you look at the one thing he hasn't done, it's beating Washington. And the way that or lost those games it's reflected on him and people haven't liked how those games have played out but for Dan Lanning in this spot against the Huskies if he wins this game those two losses will become distant memories immediately especially if especially if he covers 10 points real quick would you say it's a must win for Dan Lanning and his early legacy in Oregon no, I don't think it's a must win. I think he has already had a great season, and he's going up against a great team in the conference championship game. I think he's capable of putting Oregon in this sort of position consistently where they're at the end of the year competing for a college football playoff spot. Uh, 
probably an at-large berth in in the Big Ten. So I, I don't think there's a must-win factor for Dan Lanning, but he could win over a lot of Oregon fans even more if he wins. Hour three coming up. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Hey, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but... If you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.